0: Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Did you know that? It's Chinese New Year. <laughs> Woo-hoo! It's three of you. Thank you. Um, welcome to uh, Fairfax Bible Church. We're so glad you're here. Uh, my name is Hang. I'm the worship pastor here. Normally, you see me holding a guitar. Today, I get to hold my Bible. Let me see your Bible, guys. You guys excited to hear the Word of God this morning? Amen. Amen. My goodness. You guys looking great this morning. Well, as some of you know... Um, uh, our family was in quarantine the last week of 2022, and the first couple of weeks, 2023. Boo, right? And so, yeah, it was, it was really hard, but at the same time, praise God that our symptoms were really mild, and it turned out to be really refreshing for us. We get to have some time alone, and Seiji and I got it first, and we lovingly passed along to Kanade, right? That's love right there. Um, and so, Seiji and I got to watch some movies together, and just hang out, take walks, and things like that. And Kanda would be bringing us food and all these wonderful things. And one day she's like, you know what? I wish somebody brought me food. There it is. She got sick and we brought her food, right? I brought her food. I brought her food. But seriously, it was such a reflective time for us. And kind uh, was able to spend some time alone, by herself, away from the boys and me, right? She loved it. Absolutely loved it. <laughs> Praise God that after five, six days or so, I was negative, so I was able to go back to work and lead worship. I miss you all so much. Thanks so much for calling and offering to bring food, and, uh, but about day 11 or 12, I don't remember, and said he was still positive. There's this little faint line, you know, on the second thing. I was like, it's fine, kind of, dead. let's let him do it. He said, no. He said, it is, right? All that to say, I could see the longing, the disappointment in his eyes. He want to go back to normal, right? He want to go back to school without masks. He wants to go to youth group and go to church, but he just couldn't. Have you ever waited for something or someone but only met with disappointment? Raise your hand if you done, have experienced that, right? Six of you, all right. <laughs> all of you did. Have you ever prayed for peace and resolution for a situation, but and actually that situation only got worse, didn't get better, right? Raise your hand you experienced that. That's right. Waiting is hard. And in those moments, we're tempted to take matters into our own hands. We're tempted to be our own savior. We're tempted to make provision for our flesh. And we're tempted to think that, you know what? Maybe God should just hurry up just attack. Like, what are you doing, Lord? I've been praying and waiting. And you're just so slow, right? Or worse, maybe we're tempted to think maybe God doesn't really care. Because if he does, how could he let this awful thing, terrible thing happen to me or my family? So this morning we're going to study about the second coming of Christ. There's a group of people in his days, Peter calls the scoffer. Perhaps through the pressure of life of persecution, they got tired of the weight. right? And so they begin to doubt God's promises, question His character and ignore his word many of the believers in that time begin to buy into some of this false teaching, some of this heresy. And so Peter gives them three exhortations from our passage today to encourage them, to encourage us to hold on as we wait for Christ's return. This is a huge topic, the second coming of Christ. It will take three years and a half. I did my math. I'm just kidding. It will take a long time to cover this, but I will try my best to be faithful to our text uh, today, so let's turn your Bible to Second uh, Peter chapter three. Notice that Peter is writing to the same network of churches in Peter's first letter to encourage believers, Jews and Gentiles, scattered throughout Asia Minor, uh, to hold on to Christ and to become like Christ in love and in purity. At this point, Peter is an old man. He knows that his, his time on earth is coming to an end. He said that in uh, sec- Second. Second Peter chapter 1.14 What would you say to your families and to your loved ones when you're about to die? One thing for sure, you don't beat around the bush, right? You tell them exactly what they need to hear. Take out the trash, Seiji. Don't forget to. All that, right? You tell them the most important things. And one thing, um, so in chapter 1, Peter warns them against false teachers that, and their distorted view of the origin of prophecy. In chapter 2, he warns them about false teachers and their distorted lifestyle. And in chapter 3 today, Peter warns them against the false teacher and their distorted theology. Apparently, some of the scoffer in that time was saying that since Jesus isn't coming back and there's really no judgment, therefore, there's no point to live holy lives. People can do whatever they want. In Peter's time, mocking was the, was the supreme act of dishonor and an attempt to bring shame upon a person. Essentially, the, it, this is what the scoffers are saying. Let's look at verse 3 together. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last day with their scoffing, following their own sinful desire. Peter recognized that, the scoff the present of the scoffer is as a sign that the last day have arrived. This last day is the time between the ascension of Jesus and the return of Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and say, This is the last day. This is the last day. This is the end game, right? We're in the end game. Notice the phrase following their own sinful desire. This is their ultimate motives. They rather listen to their lustful desire. Instead of listen to God. Listen to how they spend, bend the truth in verse 4. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the father has fell asleep, all things are continued as they were from the beginning of creation. The word fathers refers to the father of Jewish faith, the ancestor, Father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The word asleep means death. Since ever Since the time of our ancestors' death, verse 4b, all things are continued as they were from the beginning of creation. Basically, this is the scoffer's message. Because God is uninvolved since the beginning of creation. He's uninvolved today and in the future. The promise of Jesus' coming is past due. In fact, He's not coming back. And therefore, we can do whatever we want There are no consequences. There's no judgment. Doesn't that remind you of some of the popular secular uh, voices and opinions of our day? Absolutely. There is no absolute truth. Everything is relative, right? So live for the moment. Have it your way. Do what makes you feel happy. There is no God. There is no judgment. And so in response, Peter gave three arguments to refute this false teaching. So here's a big idea for us this morning. We're certain of Christ's return because God's word is reliable, because God's work is consistent, and because God's will is merciful. First of all, God's work is reliable. We must remember it. Go back to verse 1 with me. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm, writing, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of Reminder. Four times in this chapter, Peter addressed his flock, the church, as beloved, an intimate term used from parents to children. Notice he's not writing or talking to the scoffer. As an older Peter, older person, he knew that he would be wasting his time arguing with fools. So he's talking, writing to the beloved people of God, the church. Verse 2, that you should remember the prediction of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord as Savior and Savior through your, your apostles. Peter exhort them to recall the teaching of the Old Testament prophet and the commands of the Lord Jesus, which passed down to them through the apostle. And that, that is what, how we are to approach any false teaching and heresy. We go straight to the Word of God for answer, amen? We study what God has to say on the subject in order to battle distorted theology. Peter calls them to remember the Word of God. This call to remember, in verse 2, presupposes that the audience in 2 Peter have received the basic theology of the Old Testament and of the New Testament. And in it, they have the prophetic word regarding the second coming and its judgment. According to Jude 14, as far as the day of Enoch, God warned that judgment was coming. This period is also known as the time of Jacob's trouble or the tribulation. For example, Isaiah 2, the day of the Lord, the proud will be humble. Amos 5, the day of the Lord is filled with darkness. Zechariah 12, it is the day of judgment and wars. Jeremiah refers to it as the time of Jacob's trouble. In the book of Job, the day of the Lord is of judgment and destruction. In the previous chapter, Peter already reminded us that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, this prophet of old prophesied about the second coming and his judgment through the Holy Spirit's guidance. They did not come up with the the concept of the second coming. It was from the Lord. Secondly, the second coming and future judgment was preached by Jesus himself and is recorded in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 24 and 25. And the Apostle Paul continued to expound on it in First and Second Thessalonians. And the Apostle John described this terrible day of judgment in the book of Revelation 6-19 to with the climax of the Lord's return. So to summarize these four verses, Peter's first argument is clear. We are certain of Jesus' return because the, the, the prophet spoke of it through the Holy Spirit. Our Lord commanded and the Apostle continued to teach it. Therefore, God's word is reliable, and we should hold on to it and remember it to use it to fight false teaching and heresy. Let me give you an example of what I mean by this. Uh, How many of you know what this is? This is an XLR cable, right? Those who set up and tear down worship, you know what this is, right? So we use about 30 to 40 of this every Sunday on stage to connect the microphones and speakers and instruments to the motherboard. And there is a correct way, and incorrect way to wrap this thing up, all right? If you want to do the correct way, just YouTube over and under technique, all right? The rest is incorrect, okay? So when you do it correctly, uh, it will look like this, Exhibit A. And when you do it incorrectly, just take a look at Exhibit B. It's a colossal mess, right? <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy when you come to church and then, and then Exhibit C Brother in the head of security, I mean, the head of a sound team, will be very concerned, right? So the question becomes, what happened? what do you do when this cable is wrapped incorrectly? Well, first you pray for forgiveness, Yeah, <laughs> Put that down, right? It's sanctification level three, right there. So you pray, but I'm serious. Uh, what do you do when it's all tangled up? All right, this is what you do. You hold on to... Uh, You find the one end of this thing, right? You hold on to it, and you trace it through the different loops that the previous guy made. And you you utter a prayer, certainly. You trace that. You hold on to that that, that thread. Hold on to it. Be mindful of it. Don't let go of it. Don't be carrying a conversation when you do this. You're going to mess it up. Because I did, right? And that you followed that thread out of that crazy uh, mess. All right? So that's what you do. I think... In the same way, Peter is saying to us that in the last days, mockers, false teachers will throw all kind of crazy theology, heresy at us, right? But don't you worry, Peter said. Just hold on to that threat. Hold on to the Word of God. Remember it. Don't lose sight of it. Pay close attention to it. The Word of God will help us through all those crazy, distorted theology. The Word of God eliminates... Illuminates truth. So read it, right? Get a Bible reading plan and stick to it and help, ask a friend to help you. Stick to that plan. The Word of God strengthens faith since faith comes from hearing the Word. So preach the Word to yourself often. The Word of God discerns thoughts and intentions of the heart. Don't listen to your heart. Listen to the Word of God. Interpret your heart, the message of your heart, through the Word. The Word of God, battle enemy lies and keep us from sin. Meditate on the Word. Internalize it. Delight in the Word. The Word of God, transform and renew our minds. Meditate on the Word often. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They know me. Peter encouraged his flocks not to focus so much on the voices of scoffer and false teacher, Rather, Peter said, focus on the voice of God. Because God's voice is, God's word is reliable. We should remember it, hold on to it with dear life. Not only that, God's work is consistent. We must take notice of it. God's work is consistent. In verse 3 and 4, the scoffer complained that nothing ever changed. Since the beginning, God is uninvolved, right? There's no accountability. But in the next two verses, Peter simply reminds them that what God has done in the past, they have ignored. Look at verse 5 and 6. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens exist long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the Word of God, and that by means of this, the world that then exists was diluted with water and perished. The phrase deliberately uh, uh, overlooked, means to willingly and deliberately forget. So it is not like somebody who lost their glasses, you know, say, oh man, I forgot where it is. Usually it's up here, just check up here. Or I forgot my keys. No, they deliberately disregard the mighty works of God in creation. They ultimately turn their back on God, suppressing the truth in order to justify their own sinful, lustful way of life. So Peter cited two events in history to prove his point. The work of God in creation in verse 5. The language here is a little bit difficult to understand, but basically he's saying the same God who created the world by his word can also intervene in his world anytime he desires. I mean, he's God. It is his word that made it, and still it is his word that holds it together. And the second event Peter cited was the, the judgment of God. The the flood in Noah's day in verse 6. Peter already used the flood as divine judgment in the previous chapter. Just imagine uh, uh, people in Noah's day making fun of Noah for building that wooden boat in a drought, right? They may say something along the line, since the beginning of creation, nothing ever changed. God is uninvolved. He doesn't care. There's no judgment. Quit building that boat. The rain is not going to come. <clears throat> but Noah pleaded with them to humble themselves, to listen to the warning, to listen to the Word of God, to enter the ark, but they all ignore God's warning. And so all of them perish under the flood, except for Noah and his family. You see, God can send His Son back anytime He desires. Since He's sovereign, He's in control. But His slowness in sending Jesus just as his slowness in sending the rain in Noah's day is a sign of his love and his patience, it is not a sign of his absence. The Bible said love is patient." Peter continues in verse 7, But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The same Word that created the heaven and the earth is the same Word that is sustaining the world today, being kept until the day of judgment. The powerful Word of the Lord is also preserving it for future day of judgment. God promised to never destroy the the world through flood in Genesis 9. Therefore, God is preserving the world for His final judgment. And in the next couple of verses, it tells us that it is a judgment of fire. Once again, Peter proves his point. God's work is consistent. He's able to intervene in the course of human history. He did it in the past, like in Noah's day, and he's able to do it again anytime he desires. So you and I may not deny the second coming, right? But have we ignored God's mighty work in creation? Have we paused to notice his mighty work in our lives and in the lives of those around us? God's primary way of speaking is through His Word. Absolutely. But God's words tell us that He also speaks through creation, which includes people. So we need to slow down in order to pay attention to God through creation and through the lives of the people around us. Last Saturday, uh, Cody and Casey uh, organized this hike. They apologized. They're going to invite ladies next time. Um, to, to this old rack, and we spent you know, about 10 hours on that hike, and it was absolutely amazing. It was so refreshing to get away from a city um, and, and be in the woods with no cell phone signal. When you check your phone again, there's like 50 messages and things like that, and that's okay, right? My soul was so refreshed by God's majestic, majestic creation. I was reminded of Psalm 19. In fact, I was asking think uh, Cody, hey, read this, I'm going to record you. And he said, no, you read it. I'll record you. And I said, no, thanks. <laughs> Psalm 19, verse 1. Smart man. The heavens declares the glory of God. Just imagine you're looking you know, out of Virginia when you read Psalm 19. The heavens declares the glory of God. The heaven is not God. Notice that, right? Creation is not God. But creation is pointing to us, speaking to us about God and His glory. God, creation was beautiful. Women saw a couple of hawks flying above us. We talked, we laughed, we joke, we, sh- we share tons of God at work story, his faithfulness, what he's doing in our lives. I mean, seven-hour high, there was a lot of conversation, and it was great conversation. It feels like a blink of an eye on the way back. I was tired, I was exhausted. I'll be honest, I'm old. But my heart was so happy. That was my happy place, right? My heart was so refreshed by being out in the wood, being with my brothers. I love this quote uh, by Brett McCracken. He said, Nature is one big, beautiful symphony that is always playing if only we take our earbuds out long enough to listen. In order for us to hear this beautiful symphony, in order for us to see God's beauty and glory in creation, we must simply take out our earbuds right? Unplug from our electronics. Turn off our distractions. Slow down. Make space for God. Take a lunch walk without your phone, without your earbuds. Notice what God is doing. Two books that really helped me to slow down in this season, especially with spending time in nature, to be present with the Lord. The first one is the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And the second one is the Wisdom Pyramid especially the chapter on nature. It's just absolutely wonderful. Slow down. Be present to the Lord, with the Lord. The scoffer in Peter's time deliberately ignore God's mighty work in Scripture and in creation. They conclude that He is uninvolved. He isn't coming back. There's no judgment. And Peter's rebuttal is that the return of the Lord was not invented by people. The prophets spoke of it through the Holy Spirit. Our Lord commanded it, and the apostles continued to teach it, and it will come just as surely as the flood came in Noah's days. But the scoffer had their argument ready. This is what they say. If so, then why the delay? Peter, if the promise of Christ's return and the judgment of the world have been around for centuries, then why had he come? That was their argument. Peter gave us his final answer in verse 8. 10 God's will is merciful we must embrace it verse 8 said but do not overlook this one fact beloved that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day first of all God's measurement of time is different than our measurement right the scoffer not only only, uh, ignore God's work they're ignorant of God's character they don't really know who God is They think God is like them, bound by time and space. He's not. Peter was probably thinking of Psalm 90 verse 4 when he writes verse 8. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Since a thousand years are like one day to the Lord in His sight, the universe may be a few days old. When we look at God's work in the Old Testament, we see that that He is never hurried. He's never late. He's always on time. Just a side plug. You want to be like God? Be on time. Many of you are on time, especially the trailer driver, the setup team. Thank you. My heart beats when I don't see the trailer. I'm sorry. I'm weak in that way, yeah? Be on time. God is always on time. Give me an example. God could have delivered Israel out of Egypt in the blink of an eye, but he didn't. In fact, he took 80 years to equip the national leader Moses. Oh my gosh. 80 years is a long time. But not to God. It was worth it. We waited for about a year for Pastor Matthew to show up. 12 months is a long time, right? But in that 12 months, God raised up five preachers from within our congregation. I still remember the first time J.T. and Dave Kelly preached. I was like, dang, this is your first time? It seems like you've been preaching for the last 20 years. God was preparing them for such a time as that, amen? In that 12 months, God grew our church. Added new members, new classroom, new baptism, more baptism, more babies, and a whole lot more babies on the way. Praise the Lord. While God works in time, He's not controlled or restricted by time. So why did God delay the second coming? Let's read together. Um, We'll read this in in the huddle. This is such a key verse. Let's read. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Don't you just love that? Why the delay? Because God is patient. A side plug. You want to be like God? Be patient. Be patient. God is patient toward us, not wanting anyone to perish, but that all should reach repentance. Circle the word all. God does not show favoritism. He wants everyone to come to saving faith, amen? And <clears throat> also, God's delay is an indication that He has a plan. And this plan is simply that He wants to rescue sinners from sin. God is waiting for you, my friend, waiting for your classmate, waiting for your spouse, waiting for your grandma, grandpa, your uncle, your coworkers to come to saving faith. That's why the delay is waiting for you. To repent is simply to make, to make a U-turn, to turn away from sin and turn to God. Love that imagery. And if you have not done that, you can this morning. Just follow the ABC principle that I often use. A, admit that you're a sinner. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough and wise enough and strong enough to be your own Lord and Savior. In fact, you have tried it, and so have I. How did it go for you? Let's be honest, not very well. Angel, thank you. She's like, no good. I try to be my master and savior. It doesn't work. Quit it. B, believe that Jesus died for you and rose again. All of your sin in the past, present, and future, they are all knelt on the cross. When you, when you believe in Jesus, you, you receive his forgiveness. Not only that, the righteousness that Jesus had on himself, he gave it to you. He gave you his perfect record perfect record so when that god the father look at you every single moment of your day the rest of your life he doesn't see your failures doesn't see your disappointment doesn't see your sin but he sees his son's perfect righteousness covering you he turned you from sinners into saints lastly confess that jesus is lord and you will be saved love this verse in Romans. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You have to say it. You have to confess that, Lord, be my Lord today. You know, as a Christian, I say this more often now. There are moments in my life I don't believe that Jesus is my Lord. I try to remove him. In fact, I'm saying, let me show you how to do this. I got this. And that's when I get in trouble. Say it, church. Jesus, be my Lord. Be Lord over this situation. Be Lord over my children. Be Lord over my marriage. Be Lord. But saying is not enough. you got to believe it. The thing is, the more you say it, the more you will believe it. And the more you believe it, the more you will say it and preach it. Preach the gospel to yourself, church. I remember the thief that was hung on on the cross next to Jesus. He never went to church. He never gave money to the poor. He never served. He never took Fairfax intro classes. He never served in children's ministry. By the way, you you should serve in children's ministry. They're wonderful little sinners, but they're so cute, right? (laughs) But this guy on the cross never done anything, but yet he's in heaven. Why? Because salvation is grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. Jesus is the answer. Jesus, in him, we find forgiveness and meaning and purpose. But Peter said there will be a day the Lord, Jesus, will return and the world will be judged. And on that day, it will be too late to repent. Peter continues in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Thieves don't usually show up when you are most, thieves usually show up when you are most unexpected, right? In the same way, Jesus will come when we are most unexpected. So the question becomes, are you ready? Are you ready for Christ's return? The Bible says, no one knows exactly the day or hour, not even angels or Jesus himself. Only the Father knows the return of Christ, Mark 13, 32. So we don't know exactly the time, the day when Jesus will return, but Peter does tell us what will happen on the day of his return. Verse 10b, the heavens will pass away with a roar. There will be a great sound. Peter described it as a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolve. The term heavenly bodies can be translated as the basic element of the world, such as air, earth, fire, wind, water. Everything from the basic building block of the universe will be destroyed with great heat of fire. Not only that, the physical world will be judged by verse 10c. The works that are done on it will be exposed. The work here refers to the deeds of man. Our works, our motive, our intentions, our words. the secret thoughts of every person will be judged by God. The same world that was created and sustained by God will one day be destroyed by God before the new heaven and the new earth usher in. And at that time, it will be too late for sinners to repent. It will be too late for saints to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's why the Bible said, today is a day of salvation. And therefore, today is a day of evangelism. There's no need for evangelism in heaven. It is a precious gift the Lord has given you and I, the church, to take the gospel to the uttermost. I counted it. I think there are 8 billion people in the world and more. I think India will pass China soon. Maybe they have already. Go India. Two-thirds of the population are unbelievers and who knows how many billions, millions of souls have not heard even the name of Jesus. This task is daunting but yet somehow God chose you and I to be plan A of salvation for the billions in the world. So God's will is merciful, and we should embrace it. And so the question becomes, how do we embrace God's mercy and preach the word to the million? As I was studying and changing and finding, praying, I think God gave me uh, an answer. I think the answer is gospel immersion. Gospel immersion is one of the ways that we can embrace God's mercy. Let me give you an example. Paul immersed himself in the gospel. He meditated on the gospel in Romans 1 to 8. He wrote beautifully, right, on the teaser of the gospel. And you can see the climax of this delight in Romans chapter 8. One of my favorite, no, my favorite chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, right? Therefore, Romans 8 one said, Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Later on, he said, We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And he ended in 37 with nothing will be able to separate us from his love. Nothing, no death, no disease, no pandemic, no sickness, no angel, nothing. That's how much God loves us in the gospel. And do you know what gospel immersion does to Paul and his emotion? Romans chapter 9, verse 3 to 4, he said this. Listen to his heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my race, the people of Israel. Paul say that he wishes he could die so that his Jewish brothers and sisters could live. Gospel immersion will, will produce a delight of God in us. At the same time, On the other side, the same coin, gospel immersion will produce a love for the lost, a burden for the lost, a sorrow for the lost. And this is my prayer for you and for me in this coming year. That we would immerse ourselves in the gospel. That we would remind ourselves of the gospel often. It is impossible to give mercy without having to receive it ourselves the person who knows he needs God's mercy the most is the one who gives mercy the best. Worship team, would you come up as I close our time together with uh, one more illustration and one more quote? I have a confession to make. I'm, I'm a pretty easy person, easygoing, generally, until I'm not. And so there's one, one of my least favorite things to do is to see through a play or a musical, except when it's Science Sound. Science was sound wonderful. Check that out. Although I confess I kinda doze off a little bit. We had a huge Amish lunch that day. Don't eat an Amish lunch and go to a play. You're gonna not make it. I remember watching Julius Caesar in the Chicago Opera House with Conrad at one time. We were young and foolish, dating. Let's go see the opera, okay. I mean, the room was beautiful, yeah? People dress up so nice, and they speak so eloquently. And, and, but you know what? <clears throat> Watching big masculine men wearing tight, singing high pitch in Italian or Latin is not my thing. <laughs> <laughs> Three hours, <laughs> it's just very difficult, right? And the worst part is I can't talk, right? I can't commentate. I can't move. My wife kind of would be like, well, were we dating or we married? I forgot. It's like, shh. What? There's so much material to make fun of I can't say anything (laughs) Day man You you can play Thank you Where was I? (laughs) And do you know what I look forward to In a setting like that? My confession The ending Absolutely I was like when is the end? When the people come out to take their bow I was like yes The show is over We have to go home Come on baby let will be the first one out Typically, I noticed that the not so important character would come out to take their bow, you know, the cousin of the main character, whatnot. And then the, the antagonist, the bad guys, and some people will boo them, which is fine, they're bad guys. And then the protagonist will come out, they will bow, and people will cheer. And finally, the guy with a black outfit, with the head tilted, sometimes with a pipe or cigar in his mouth, don't think about Judah, <laughs> would come out would take his bow the director of the play come out and take his bow. Then you know that the show is over. You get to go home. Right? I'm so excited when I see a director come out. In the same way, when the director of the universe comes out to take his final bow, you know that it is the end. For the believer, those who are admitted that they're, they're sinners believe that they have Jesus rose again and will come back and confess that Jesus is Lord. They get to go home. Heaven is our home. We're just passing through. Peter said, you are a stranger and alien. Sojourner, this is not your home. I'm not going to complain about my little townhouse because it is not my home. You don't ha- You don't either. You don't have to. And heaven it's a big party, y'all. It's a big family reunion with lots and lots of food, with choices of wine. God invites you to His banqueting table. There will be a great feast. There will be eating and dancing. Christy Rambam, she loves dance. Partying for eternity. Heaven... It's a place where the people of God from every nation, tribe, and tongue will gather and they will bow before the Lamb and they will worship the Lamb. Holy, 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 worthy is the Lamb who is worthy of our honor, praise, and glory and wisdom. We will be worshiping Jesus. And there will be no more sickness, no more tear, no more pain, no more arthritis, no more pandemic, no more high gas prices, high rent. No more sickness, no more death. We will live in glory with God and with the people of God forever and ever. Life on earth is as close to hell for those who believe in Jesus. We got it easy. But for the unbelievers, when the director of the universe takes his final bow, it is torment. It is judgment. It is punishment. It is separation from God and from the people of God for all of eternity. And life on earth is as close to heaven for those who do not confess that Jesus is Lord. And so today is a day of salvation. And today is a day of evangelism. In here in Fairfax, we say today is a day to love Christ and to live sin. I'll close with this quote from Milton Vincent, a pastor from California, one of my favorite devotional all time. He said, But the good news about my troubles and trial is that God is forcing them to bow to His gospel purpose and to do good unto me by improving my character and making me conform to the image of Christ. In the gospel, our troubles are disappointments. The pressure of life then becomes opportunities and divine invitations To experience God's promises, God's presence, God's peace, and God's power. They're not there to punish you. They're there to show you how great and how awesome and how sufficient He is. And so Peter said, as we wait, don't lose heart. Remember that God's word is reliable. Hold on to it. God's work is consistent. Take out your earbuds. Stop looking at the TV and the screen and just see God in the creation, in the lives around you. And remember that God's will is merciful. Let's embrace it.